You are listening to the Inside Out Podcast. Brent Kimball and Michael Anderson discuss all things living the gospel with those inside of the family of God and bringing the gospel to those outside of the family of God. Let's live Inside Out. Episode 66 of the Inside Out Podcast is here. I am joined, as always, by Brent Kimball. And as always, Brent, I'm going to ask you, how are you doing today? Um, well, I'm, I think every week you ask me this, and I say, I think I'm doing fine. And um, I don't know, it feels like kind of a weak, weak answer. I'm fine. It's been a full day, busy day. Mm-hmm. Um, we're recording this on a Thursday, like normal. And I've got an elder team meeting tonight, so I've got plenty going on there. Yep. But part of the reason I can say that I'm fine is two reasons. One... I'm a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Two, my sermon manuscript is ready for Sunday. And Absolutely. Yeah, going into a weekend that always feels good. It's normal by this time of the day, uh, this time of the week for me to have that together, but it's always a relief to have it ready. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm fine. Well, good. Good. We are mere days away from one of the best holidays of the year. A food-based holiday. No, it's a it's a holiday whereby we express <laughs> our great gratitude to God and possibly to others for um, the life that we have. This um, is true. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you you like Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. It's a good holiday. And um, typically, do you spend this with uh, which side? Of, is, is do you mix it up? Do you go to both families on the same day? What do you, how do you do? Thanksgiving. Yeah, never been a fan of that. Both places on the same day. So we we do every other year because both of our families are local. So this year we are with my wife's family. Okay, excellent. Yep. And is it a larger gathering, smaller? There will be about 12 to 15 people there. So that's a small, medium. Yeah, no doubt because the Cowboys always play on Thanksgiving. No doubt you're watching some football. Do you guys do other things other than sit around the table and eat? Do you like play games? Is there any other traditions that you do? Um, It's pretty much eat, watch the game, eat some more, watch a different game. Uh, Now that my boys are getting a little older, we try to toss around the football in the backyard. Okay. Like okay. you're supposed to do. So I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Excellent. Now, yeah. I want you to paint a picture for us here. Okay. Um, you're sitting at the table. I'm here. Um, you, no, I mean at Thanksgiving oh, table. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're sitting at the Thanksgiving table. Somebody has thanked God um, for the meal, and you're about to dish up. Yep. What does the perfect Thanksgiving dinner plate consist of? Yeah. Boy, this is all about simplicity. It's got to be... Super simple. So we're going turkey, and that's going to be some white, some dark, and then we're going to get a solid amount of mashed potatoes. Gravy is going to go over mashed potatoes and turkey. We're going to put some extra pepper on there, and got to have a dinner roll in there with some butter, maybe some jam, and then my mom makes this sweet potato dish topped with these marshmallows. It's uh, so that's a great thing to have on the plate. So that's going on there, and that's all. And then I'm going to go get a second plate for sure. Right afterward, as soon as the first one's empty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's probably too much food, but you justify it because it's a holiday. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm more. 
I just have more of simple tastes when it comes to yeah. traditional food. What yeah, are you eating? I'm a I'm a, I'm a tradi- pretty traditional in my Thanksgiving um, appetite. Uh, good turkey, mostly probably white white meat. I'm not opposed to the dark meat, but white meat there is fine. And then I'm a I like the mashed potatoes. I like the gravy, but I got butter. I like butter a lot, mm-hmm. and so that's that. But I'm I'm stuffing. I like yeah. stuffing. Okay. And um, homemade stuffing is typically not my favorite for whatever reason. I like stovetop stuffing. It's just crazy, right? Yeah. But I do stovetop stuffing. I put gravy over the meat, the stuffing, and the potatoes. And then a definitely a, a must-have for me is that cranberry sauce, the stuff that comes in the cans that's all gelled up. Okay. And I love that okay. stuff. That stuff is the best. And uh, so I love, I like that. My mom makes this uh, kind of rice, cheesy rice dish. I think she calls it green rice, which is okay. weird because it's more yellowy than green. But it's yeah. like I do that. That's good. Okay. Kind of a peripheral thing, but I like that. And then she makes this um, sometimes raspberry, sometimes strawberry marshmallow or like a whipped cream uh, pretzel thing okay and it's more like dessert than a salad but they call it like a jello salad but it's really yep. good kind of sweet but yeah so that's that so i, I like uh, yeah and i'm pretty much a two plate guy on thanksgiving yep. as well yeah yep. and dessert what do you do for dessert well so apple pie is the first choice okay uh but if there's pumpkin pie there Yep. Hey, I'm not against doing both. Yep, that's me. I, if there's three or four kinds of pies, I have a piece of every one of them. Yeah. As long as everybody's going to get some, which there's usually more than <laughs> way more than enough. Right. But I'll do like a half a piece of each, and uh, just so I can you know have my fair share. Yeah. And uh, do you ever see the show Radio, or the movie Radio? With, yeah. With um, who's the cat there in that show? Cuba um, Gooding Jr. Yeah, Cuba Gooding. Yeah. So he. So he, when he's in the cafe or the diner with the coach and, um, and the lady, the waitress asks him if he wants pie and then she tells him what kind and which one he wants. And he says, I want both. I said, that, I like that guy right there. I want both. And so I'm like, you don't have to decide. Yeah. Just take both. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Hey, there you go. There's nothing, um, there's nothing better than just knowing you've got those traditional foods there go for it we had a we had a thanksgiving one time where we visited some relatives mm-hmm. and they decided to do mexican for thanksgiving oh yeah and it was just yeah it was sad we were all sad because yeah it's just not right it's not the same don't have it's a great it's a great meal but it's not thanksgiving meal yeah jesse's side of the family one year tried to or did um lasagna and I was like, I like lasagna, but that's not Thanksgiving. And that was the last time you ever did Thanksgiving. I've just owned every one of those people. I haven't <laughs> talked with them for years. No, that's a joke. So on Sunday, Brent, you mentioned that you were going to be taking listeners questions and answering them on today's podcast so that's exactly what we are going to do so i'm just gonna send these questions to you not rapid fire but just i'll ask the questions you give the answers and again these are user submitted questions um specifically from this last sunday's sermon so first question is this why do we say when someone dies that they are in heaven with god Okay, so good question, and I'm going to make some I'm going to make some assertions into this question because it's 
not quite as specific as I'd like it to be. Um, in order to answer it, I have to do this. So why do we say that? So I'm going to assume the we there would be, let's say, me. So first of all, I wouldn't say that when someone dies there in heaven with God, unless they are followers of Jesus Christ. I would never say that somebody who is not a follower of Jesus Christ is in heaven with God after they've, after they've died. That would contradict uh, the entire Bible. Um, so, but the say, say, so why do we say when someone dies, if they're a follower of Christ, that they're in heaven with God? We would say that because the Bible says that. So uh, when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said to them, he's kind of, he's kind of explaining to them that, that he's kind of be, between a rock and a hard place. He wrote this to an, one of the other churches as well, that he's, that he's um, got this internal tension because he wants to go on and be with the Lord. He, he, he wants to, you know, move from this life into eternal life, but he feels there's a sense of necessity in his uh, being able to minister to the churches in the present. And so he feels that tension, but he does say to the Corinthian church, a pretty definitive statement that is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when a follower of Christ dies, their body goes into the ground, but their soul is actually then present with the Lord at that moment. At the moment of death, they're translated into the presence of God. And um, and so later at some point, uh, which we talked a little bit about on Sunday, there is this resurrection. So um, so then when the resurrection takes place, uh, then those who have died in Christ, remember this is 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4, that the dead in Christ will rise first. Well, it's, if they've already died, their, their spirit or their soul, I should say, is with God. Their body, though, is in the ground. And there's going to be this resurrection where their soul and their body are reunited. They become glorified in their humanity and that's their eternal state then. So that's kind of the question to the, okay. the answer to the first question. Does that would you add anything to that? No. No. Okay. Next question. When a sinner dies, is it the end? Yeah, again, a complex question. Sounds simple, but the end of what? So it's the end of their opportunity to get right with God. Uh, the Bible says, this is Hebrews chapter 9, that uh, it's appointed unto man to die once, then to face judgment. So, um, so, so long as a person has breath in their lungs, um, they, there is hope that they could get right with God. But if they die in a, in, in a sinful state, an unregenerate state, then uh, it's the end of their opportunity to get right with God. But it's not the end of their existence. They will exist and um, and they will be judged according to their works and condemned. Mm -hmm. So um, so presently, that would be uh, uh, prior to the unfolding of the end times. Uh, presently, that would be they would be confined to hell, the place of the dead, um, and uh, and then later in the in the second resurrection. This is uh, this is Revelation twenty. Uh, in the second revel uh, in the second resurrection there. They, hell, death and hell are actually taken and put into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the actual eternal place for um, all who have not been reconciled to God. Mm -hmm. um, and so they would be judged in that, in that resurrection and condemned eternally. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
And for more on that, it may be worth checking out the podcast from a couple weeks ago where you addressed annihilationism. Ah, yeah, and universalism yeah. as well. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so Sunday you took us through a timeline of uh, some of those. Not events. really a timeline, a, a chronological, time, a chronological order. order. Uh, an Sorry. attempt at a chronological yeah. order. Yeah. Um, and uh, it taught through a pre-tribulation uh, rapture. Yes. So the question here is, how will people be saved during the tribulation and the millennium? Yes. Again, building into the question, there's an assumption that the church is not present mm-hmm. on the earth during the seven-year tribulation because what's taking place in the tribulation is not the world unraveling. It's God pouring out his wrath, expressing his displeasure um, against th- those who have rebelled against him and refused the truth. The church is not present in that. They are, the church is is in the presence of the Lord, enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, but but I said on Sunday that myriads of people, Jews and Gentiles, will become followers of Christ during that tribulation period. And one of the one of the um, ways that people will be saved during that time will be um, through the the Jewish people as a whole, not every single Jew. But the Jewish people as a whole will have their eyes opened and they will recognize that they that Jesus is their Messiah and they and they will become um, quite evangelistic uh, on a global scale sharing the gospel with people um, of all nations tribes tongues and nations mm. yeah so that'd be that'd be one way I think another way would be uh, people likely there will be Bibles everywhere just as there are now um, and people will find those Bibles and read those Bibles and um, and become Christians by having read the Bible um, and so I think there's a, I think just about any way that a person could become a Christian now would be true in the tribulation as well okay um, I'm just trying to think of I'm trying to think of a a, uh, an argument against that statement that I just made. Um, and I think that the, right this minute, I can't think of an argument against that. I think people will become Christians in lots of ways during the tribulation. But, but unfor- uh, you know, however you want to look at that, they will, it will be a very difficult time to be a Christian, mm-hmm. right? There will be lots of persecution and martyrdom taking place. Okay. So this is a, this is a, a 1B to that 1A question. Okay. Uh, with the church raptured and the age of grace ended, mm. what will be required yeah. of those people? Yeah, I, so age of grace, it doesn't mean grace is no longer available because mm-hmm. in order to become a Christian, grace has to be distributed from God, right? We're saved by grace through right. faith. It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. So um, so maybe that might be a little bit of a misunderstanding, a lack of clear communication on my part. So remember when I said on Sunday that it, it appears from trying to put all of this together that the second coming of Christ comes in two stages. First, he comes for his church, for his followers, and he comes in the clouds. Second, he comes um, with his followers and he comes to the earth and establishes his thousand year the millennial reign of christ so so i think that it's at the end of the second 
stage that would be the actual end of the age of grace um, because I think that given that people will become Christians during the seven-year tribulation, the age of grace, that age is coming to a close, but I don't think, I don't think it's closed all the way yet. Uh, I think that, I think that uh, the millennial reign of Christ, that being established, would be the end of the age of grace. But again, God is gracious. God is, the great, great, grace comes from God. So the age of grace as a dispensation or a period of time, that ending does not mean that there's no more grace. It's just that age, and, and that's a label that's put on it, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I would not equate the availability of grace to be absolute and equal to what we've called the age of grace. I would make okay. a bit of a distinction there. Okay. Uh, next question. Oh, but what would Go be ahead. required of them? That oh, was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what would be required of them is, is, I think, the same that would be required of anybody right now. Um, repent. Mm-hmm. Rethink what's right and wrong. Agree with God that you haven't kept his standards. Turn your life over to Jesus. Give your allegiance to him and become one of his followers. And, um, and grace is distributed and you're, and, and you're saved by grace through faith. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Pretty good requirements. Uh, next question. What will the Holy Spirit's influence be during the tribulation? Hmm. Yeah. Again, I would say that the Holy Spirit's influence during the tribulation is going to be similar to the Holy Spirit's influence now. Um, the Holy Spirit is not going to be absent from the earth. If that were the case, nobody would be able to become followers of Christ or be able to sustain their faith. It is the Spirit of God who brings people from death to life. So the Spirit is present. Um, I think that um, the illusion, what somebody here, our, listening, uh, our listener here is maybe re- referencing some thoughts from 2 Thessalonians where, um, where the influence of the Holy Spirit holding back lawlessness might be um, lessened significantly. It seems okay. that that's the case because lawlessness is going to be, even though right now we see an increase in lawlessness, we just see a general increase in lawlessness across the globe. It seems to mm-hmm. me in my you know, anecdotal observation, but, uh, but, but we find these teachings or these, uh, these revelations in the New Testament where, um, where lawlessness is going to increase. And during that tribulation, it's like there's... It's going to be a no-holds-barred time uh, for people on the planet that is just going to be absolutely craziness. Like they haven't made an apocalyptic movie mm-hmm. yet that's going that has depicted how crazy it's going to be in the with, with regard to lawlessness. Right? All your Mad Max movies, your Book of Eli movies, none of that is going to even come close. Did right. you see the Left Behind movie with Nicolas Cage? No, I have not seen any Left Behind movies. The problem with any Christian-based film about the the end times is that they can't put what it's actually going to be like because it's directed towards Christian audiences. So it's like, here the, here the rapture takes place, and the worst thing that happens after was somebody throws a, a, a rock through a store window to steal a TV. And, you, and you, you know, you can't show these truly vile things yeah. so yeah. just as an aside you know let's gotcha. let's raise the quality of these type of movies yeah. in the future please yeah 
I thought you were going to say that the problem with the Christian show is the acting. And I was going to say, well, yeah, that's pretty much why I didn't watch it. <laughs> Nonetheless, let's move on before I get in big trouble. Um, okay, so the Holy Spirit's influence. Back to this. So the Holy Spirit is a um, acting agent in the earth right now, holding back humanity gen- in general from totally and completely unraveling. Mm-hmm. morally, ethically, etc. So I think that that influence is going to be lessened. I think we get that from, um, from the New Testament. Also, the Holy Spirit's influence will, con- will be to continue to convict people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. If he wasn't doing that, nobody could become a Christian. I think that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to to empower or enable followers of Christ um, to be effective witnesses, just like Jesus taught in um, John. I'm sorry, in Luke 24 and Acts chapter one, and we see it in Acts chapter two. There's going to be an empowerment from the Holy Spirit, whereby people can be um, strong in the Lord and be effective in their witness for Christ. So I think that all of those the influence of the Holy Spirit will be um, will be still very positively experienced for those who are believers and um, and there will be still conviction by the Spirit convincing people that Jesus is the Christ um, but I also think that as I initially started to answer the question that there's going to be a lessening of his influence with regard to the holding back of um, lawlessness. 